Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So we are in week three of our series called Greater, and what we're doing in this series is looking at some of the great figures from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, and there are a lot of them, but we're covering seven of them in this series that takes us through the end or near the end of the year, and we're looking at really what made these people great. What about their character? What about their uh, actions, their words, their deeds? What about their devotion to God that made them great? But the series is not called Great. It's called Greater, Because then we're looking at how Jesus, in every one of these individual situations, was a greater version of each of those figures. He was greater in every way, and as we'll see even this week, a lot of parallels with the person that we'll discuss today, but Jesus in every way is greater. And so what we're doing this week and the next two weeks, kind of the the middle three weeks of this seven-week series, is looking at probably of the seven the least known now we might know that especially we might know them but you might even think well how how are they great what was great about them but we'll we'll look at them but there are some great stories about some great figures that we'll cover this week and the next two weeks that might be not quite as famous as the others on the bookends of the series but still pretty great and even then jesus is greater Uh, so this week we're looking at joshua we're looking at Joshua. Now again, Joshua, you might know a bit about him, but I I think he's usually considered maybe a second tier sort of figure in the Old Testament. He's not like on the top shelf, uh, but he was a great leader. Uh, He was a great strategist, as we'll see. There was a lot about him that was great. And what I want to cover this morning uh, is our four descriptors about what made Joshua great. Maybe you know some of these things about him. Maybe you don't. So you're going to get to know a pretty amazing person from the Old Testament, this man named Joshua. We want to look at, again, four descriptors about him that made him great. And then we'll see how Jesus is greater. So four things. Here's the first thing about Joshua And we're starting out with the bang here, and that is Joshua had some big shoes to fill. Joshua had some big shoes to fill. The guy that he's replacing is the guy that we talked about last week, Moses, the one of the greatest leaders in really the history of the world, even now, even thousands of years later. And Joshua had to follow that up. I mean, that's crazy. That that's that's pressure right there. That is, I'm never gonna measure up there. And I was thinking this week about an example of that, really, in modern times. So let me ask you this question. Do you know who the CEO of Apple is? The current CEO of Apple. Do you you know who he is? You may or may not. Let me ask you this. Do you know who the founder of Apple was? You probably know him more than you know the current CEO of Apple. So the current CEO of Apple, his name is Tim Cook. 
He's actually been at the helm for nine years now. He's been there for almost a decade. But the guy that he replaced was Steve Jobs. I'm sure you definitely know who that is. You've definitely heard of that guy. This is a very similar situation to Joshua following Moses. Tim Cook done a great job, but he is not Steve Jobs. He is not as famous. He is not as prolific. Uh, he is not as you know, well-known by far. He had some big shoes to fill. Now, he's done a great job. I mean, Apple's doing just as good as they've ever done, making some great products. You know, innovation is still on the rise with, with that company, but he is not Steve Jobs. He is never going to get out from under the shadow of his predecessor. That's the same, the same struggle that Joshua had to deal with. Joshua was a good leader in his own right. Uh, Joshua completed the mission that was laid out before him, as we'll discuss here today. But Joshua never got out of the shadow of Moses, still to this day has not escaped the shadow of Moses. Now, that's not a bad thing. And I don't think that really Joshua really cared. I don't think he minded that. But it is a point that I do want to reference because we'll come back to it even with Jesus, that Joshua had some big shoes to fill. The second thing about Joshua is that he was a great warrior. Joshua was a great warrior, and really, he had to be, because that was his mission. His mission after Moses, after he took over, was to lead the people into the promised land. So there was some fighting that went on. There were some battles that ensued. So Joshua had to be, by necessity, a great warrior. But the one thing that I've noticed in looking over his life the last few weeks here is that the main thing that made Joshua successful as a warrior was his ability and his willingness to adapt. So there are three major battles I want to talk about for just a second, and all three of them are very different. So in Joshua chapter 8, there, Joshua gets to show off his skill as a warrior. He gets to show off his you know, skill as a general, as a strategist. So quickly what he does, they want, they're going to take the next city on the map. And they devise a plan. He splits the troops up into two different groups. One slowly goes toward the gates of the city and hides to sort of ambush. And the second group, they kind of stand in front to be noticed on purpose by the opposing army of this city. So the plan works to perfection. Joshua is a master strategist because what happens is the, the team out in front, they get noticed. So the opposition comes to attack them. They pretend to run away in fear, so then while they're being chased away further and further from the city, the other group of soldiers that is standing by waiting at the front, they go and storm and take the city, no problem. The scripture even says that by the time the opposing army notices what's going on, their city's already burning to the ground. So, and then they're defeated by the other army who is pretending to be afraid. So Joshua in, in Joshua 8 shows master strategy here. But in Joshua 6, totally different situation. It's, it's, it's the story of the fall of the town of Jericho. You're probably familiar with this story. There was no fighting in this account. There's no storming of the gates in this account. They don't climb the walls. What do they do? For six days, God says, you're going to march your people around the walls of the city in complete silence. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around in complete silence seven times, and then the walls will supernaturally fall. If Joshua had not 
change strategy, he would not have found victory, maybe in either one of these situations. He had to read each situation for what it was and follow God's instructions specifically every time. But he proved himself to be a great warrior. Then in Joshua 10, quickly, there's this account of another battle that's ensuing, and they're right about to to conquer. It's really close, but the sun is about to set. And so then they're going to have to stop fighting. They're not going to finish off, you know, this other army, and who knows what's going to happen the next day when they resume fighting. So what God does is he does what only he can do. The scripture says that God actually suspends the sun in place long enough for Joshua and his army to finish the battle and and find victory. So again, three different scenarios here, three different battles, but Joshua being a great warrior was a great leader and a great follower. He knew that I have to allow God to do what only he can do in these situations, and I need to do what God asks me to do in each of these situations. It's going to look different, but if I follow those two things, allow God to do what he can do and wants to do, and if I follow his instructions for me, we'll be okay. We'll find victory, and that's exactly what happened. So let me apply this quickly to us for just a second. Let me ask you, what what battle are you facing right now? Or what battles are you facing? Maybe you're coming against on so many fronts here. Are you like Joshua? Are you willing to adapt to those different situations? Are you willing like Joshua to let God do what he is going to do, what he wants to do, what only he can do, and not get in his way? And are you willing to do what God asks you to do in each situation? And they're all going to look different. You can try to bull bull in a china shop your way through life, but you're going to be defeated more often than not. Every situation is different. Every interaction is different. Every relationship is different. Every struggle is different. It requires us to use wisdom and to adapt to those situations. And again, more importantly, we have to be, you know, let God do what what he's going to do. Not, not try to take too much control, not try to take too much ownership, but just give it over to him and follow his instructions for us. That is our key to victory as it was for this man, Joshua, who was a great warrior. The third thing about Joshua that I think is very important is that he combated fear with faith. Joshua combated fear with faith. So as we look at the first two things about Joshua, there's, there's going to be a lot of fear in Joshua's life. There's going to be a lot of uncertainty in Joshua's life. Taking over for a great leader like Moses, there's going to be some doubt that's going to creep in to his heart and his mind occasionally. Can I do this? Am I capable? Will the people trust me? Will they follow me like they followed Moses? Can I I do it? When he's going into battle after battle after battle, are we going to do this? That, That army seems really strong. They seem to outnumber us. I don't know if we have what it takes. There's going to be a lot of fear potentially in Joshua's heart and a lot of doubt in Joshua's mind. So how did he do it? How did he manage? How did he, how was he so successful? Well, it comes down to this scripture here in Joshua chapter 1 where really this whole story of him taking over begins. This is how from the beginning Joshua was able to overcome fear with faith. Here's how he did that. Let's read this. Joshua 1 verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. This is God speaking to Joshua. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. 
Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. That's the key word. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So two things from this scripture. How did Joshua combat fear with faith? Well, two things we see from this scripture. First, it was simply God's strategy for him. Right? He says, be strong and courageous three times. God does to Joshua here in these five verses. He says, be strong and courageous. Then he says, be strong and very courageous. And then in the last verse, he says, I'm commanding you to be strong and courageous. He knows Joshua's a warrior. He's a general. And so he's going to speak in language that Joshua understands. He's saying, I'm commanding you to be strong and courageous. It was just simply... Sir, yes, sir, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to fight fear with faith because that's God's plan. It's his strategy for success, for victory in my life, in my leadership, and for our people. And the second thing we see here is that Joshua combated fear with faith because he read the instruction manual. Men, I'm looking at you right now, okay? Read the instruction manual. What's this 48-page thing in this box? I don't know. Let's try to make this thing without it. No, right? Men, let's not do that. Joshua read the instruction manual. God said, I've got this instruction, scripture, for you that I gave to Moses that he's passing down to you. He says, read it, study it, meditate on it. He says, if you do, you will have success in everything you do. That's pretty cool. That's a cool promise. And so he follows the instruction to get the victory, to receive the victory, to find victory and his reward. There's one more way, though, one more thing. Even before this, in, in how Joshua found faith despite fear, how he combated his fear with faith. And it was in who called him and who chose him. So who chose Joshua to succeed Moses? Did Moses choose Joshua? I don't know. Let's see. So in Numbers 27, we read this account where basically Moses knows he's about to die, and his prayer to God is, hey, God, who's going to follow me? Who's going to take over from me? Who's going to lead your people from now on? So Moses is asking God to choose the person, and so God does. Numbers 27, verse 18, the Lord replied, Take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Present him to Eleazar the priest before the whole community and publicly commission him to lead the people. Transfer some of your authority to him so the whole community of Israel will obey him. So, whenever Joshua would have moments of doubt or fear or uncertainty or disbelief. He always had this in his back pocket. He always knew that God chose him, okay? Not even Moses. That would have been validation enough, right? But God chose him. God called him. Out of all the other people, him. Out of all the other choosers, God. That should instill 
some confidence, and I believe it did in Joshua's life. Again, let me apply this to us quickly. Are you afraid of anything right now? Is there any fear that you're wrestling with internally? Is there any doubt that you're struggling with in a situation or in yourself or based on what you see around you? Let me encourage you, don't fear, but have faith. For the same reason that Joshua did, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, that means that God has chosen you. God has placed you right where he wants you, right when he wants you for his purpose. And he's not chosen somebody else to do what you're called to do. He's chosen you to do what he's called you to do. That should instill some confidence in you. In those moments of fear and doubt, we're going to have them. We're going to have those moments. We're going to have seasons of doubt. We're going to have moments of fear. It's just part of life. However, God wants to instill faith in us. And that can come primarily through the fact that he has chosen you. He is equipping you. And like Joshua, he is with you and will continue to be with you no matter what you face. Don't fear, but have faith. So here's the final thing quickly uh, that set that set Joshua apart from many other people, that what made Joshua so great. And that is that Joshua led Israel to their rest. He completed his mission. That, that was his mission. He completed it. And this is unlike the character that we'll talk about next week who totally bombed his mission, totally failed, did not live up to his potential. Joshua lived up to his potential. Joshua completed his mission. In fact, the second half of the book of Joshua, named after Joshua, the second half of the whole book, like 10, 12 chapters, is just about dividing up the promised land. We've conquered it, we've done it, we've completed the mission. Okay, this tribe, you get this portion, you get these cities, you get this part. That's what half the book is about, is a bunch of names and places and locations and who gets what, because he completed his mission. Joshua served faithfully, he led faithfully, and ultimately he led the people into their reward, to their rest. This is what made Joshua great. But now let's transition into the second half here. We're going to insert some Jesus in here and see what made Jesus greater than Joshua. What made Jesus a greater Joshua? There are some awesome parallels here between these two men that I find pretty fascinating. And the first of which is really a cool parallel. So we talked at the beginning that Joshua had some big shoes to fill. He certainly did. And Jesus also had some big shoes to fill. He really did. So before Jesus was this man named John, John the Baptist, okay? John was a big deal. John was a huge deal. John had a huge ministry, a huge following. And the reason was because he was the first sort of prophetic person in Israel's, uh, in the country of Israel for about three to 400 years, Think about that. John comes along and he's preaching and teaching like the prophets from hundreds of years ago. He's, pro- he's proclaiming to them, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get ready for what God's going to do, just like the prophets of old used to do. So he harkens back to a time that hasn't been there. Generations have passed and there hasn't been a voice like this. 
generations have passed and there's not been a national prophet like this man. And he rises up and he has a huge following. He is famous and infamous. So he's famous because he's kind of a weird dude, kind of an eccentric person. He lives out in the desert. Uh, He wears animal skins uh, and he eats locusts and wild honey as his diet. I don't know if that's keto or I don't know what that is, but he, he has his own sort of Atkins sort of John the Baptist diet going on. He's a weird dude, but he's well known. He's well respected. People know God is with him. God is speaking through him. He was a big deal. He's also infamous because he would speak out to anyone. He'd proclaim God's judgment to anybody, including high-ranking officials, including government officials, people who could literally cut off his head. And that's what eventually happens to him because he was doing his thing. He was doing what God commissioned him to do as a prophet, as a spokesperson. Jesus had to follow this guy up. And so he's such a big deal, in fact, that even in Luke 3, we read people thought John was the Messiah for a time. People thought, man, this is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the guy the prophet spoke about. So in Luke 3, these people come to him and they, they say this, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. But here's John's answer. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, as big of a deal as John was, he knew he was simply the opening act. He knew the guy to follow him was the guy. He understood that. But Jesus had some big shoes to fill. He had a tough act to follow. But Jesus is greater than Joshua because Joshua never really got out of Moses' shadow, but Jesus certainly got out of John's shadow. It's kind of like, you know, when a, a band is first starting and they open for a really big act, but then within a couple of years, the opening act becomes the big act. They become maybe bigger than the act they used to open for. That's sort of what happens here with Jesus and John, and that's what makes him greater than Joshua. Yeah, big shoes to fill, but he did it, and then some. And Joshua, uh, John the Baptist was okay with that, right? Because later on in John 3, verse 30, he says, He, that's Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less. So it wasn't a competition. There wasn't jealousy here. John knew his place. He says, he said, I'm the forerunner. I'm the opening act. And the one who's going to come after me, he's the guy. And that's what makes Jesus a greater Joshua. The second thing we discussed about Joshua is that he was a great warrior, and that he was. But Jesus, to follow our theme here, is a greater warrior. And it comes back down to a similar thing that we talked about last week with Moses. We talked about the the deliverance that Moses gave was great, but it was only physical. And the deliverance of Jesus that he offers is greater because it is spiritual in nature. It's the same idea here. The fighting, the battles that Joshua fought were physical, literal battles. But the fighting and the battles that Jesus fights and battles are spiritual 
And that's really a, a big reason why Jesus was rejected by many of the people. They were expecting someone more like Joshua. They were hoping for someone more like Joshua. A great leader, it's fine if you're wise, and it's fine if you teach and preach, but we need battles. We need war. We need overthrow of this oppressive Roman government. And that's why he was rejected, because his mission was different. His battles were different. They were cosmic. They were supernatural. So that's why Jesus is greater than Joshua in this respect. There is one parallel, though, that I do want to bring out. So we talked about earlier with Joshua, one of the keys to his victory was that he followed the instruction manual, right? He followed this book of the law, the instructions. That was a huge key to his victory. And a parallel here for us is that we have the same thing. We have our own instruction manual. We have our own download of instructions that we need to be in. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this, For the Word of God, that's the Bible, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This is how we train. This is how we fight. This is how we battle. And this is our key to victory. We need to allow God to download his instructions to us on a regular basis. Again, Joshua's instruction was meditate on this book day and night. Follow its instructions to the letter. I feel like too often we can treat scripture as an emergency handbook. When things are falling apart, when my life is on fire, when relationships are crumbling, well, then I need God's wisdom. Then I need God's instruction. How do I fix the mess I made? However, the true key to lasting victory in our life is to not treat the Bible like an emergency manual, but to treat it like a daily instructional guide. How can I prevent my life from falling apart? What wisdom can I follow to strengthen my relationships? How can I learn from the creator of the universe in order to not have everything crumble around me? That's the key. That's a huge key to victory. That's part of our battles that we face, that we fight. That's part of us being warriors in our own right is to follow the instructions. Read the manual. Meditate on the manual. It's a key to victory for us as well. The third thing that we looked at with Joshua uh, was that he combated fear with faith. And Jesus did the same thing. Jesus combated fear with faith. But the reason that Jesus is greater, what makes him a step above Joshua, is a majority of Joshua's faith over fear was for himself. It was personal. But a majority, a great majority of Jesus's faith over fear was for others. Time and time again, over and over again, he is instilling faith in his followers who are full of fear. Let me just run through a, a few quick examples from the life and ministry of Jesus with his disciples to, to just point out how this is absolutely true. So in Matthew 8, there's a story where He's in the boat with his disciples. They're, they're on the water. A huge storm comes up, and the, the disciples are afraid for their lives. And they are trying to man the sails, and they're trying to you know, just survive, and they don't know what to do, and they're going to die. They're going to capsize. It's, it's over. And they go down to find Jesus asleep <laughs> below deck. 
And they wake him up, shake him. Don't you care that we're going to die? Help us out here. And what does Jesus say? Why are you so afraid? The answer is obvious. We're going to die at sea. That is why we're afraid. We have good reason to be afraid. And so Jesus gets up from his nap. He kind of gets the sleepy out of his eyes. He goes up in the middle of a storm. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He speaks to the weather, and the weather obeys him, and the winds and the waves calm down. And then he says, why do you have so little faith? And it's kind of funny now. It's not funny then. They're terrified because they're like, okay, this guy can control the weather. This is weird. This is freaky. This is a big deal. Who is this man that the weather, that the wind and the waves obey him? But he says, have faith. Don't fear. Don't doubt. And then in a similar case in Matthew 14, the disciples are in a boat by themselves without Jesus and a storm comes up. So now they have big problems. They don't have the dude in the bottom of the boat asleep to help them out this time. It's not a good thing. And then out of all things, they see a person walking in the middle of the, it looks like in the middle of the the sea. And as the person gets close to them, they think it's a ghost. Okay, middle of the sea, middle of a storm, middle of the night, there's no way someone can be out in, in this. And then, but Jesus is the one out there, obviously, and he says, don't fear, it's me. Don't be afraid, it's me. And this is the classic story where Peter says, okay, Jesus, if it's really you, then tell me to come join you out there, and I will. And so Peter walks on water for a minute here until he becomes afraid. He loses faith, and he begins to sink, and Jesus pulls him up, and they get back in the boat. And so twice here... Jesus instills faith over fear, both in the men in the boat, that it's him, and then in Peter. He says, why did you lose faith? Why did you doubt? And then in other situations, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't worry about being provided for. God will provide for you. Don't worry, don't fear, but have faith. In Matthew 10, he tells some new recruits to not, face, to not, to not fear persecution, he says, yeah, they may not like your message, and they may not really, you know, want to deal with that. Don't fear. He says, don't fear someone who can kill your body. He says, fear God who can kill both your body and your soul in hell. So he's saying, hey, don't even fear persecution, but have faith. And in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he's telling them he's about to leave, and he can see they're full of fear. So he says, don't fear. I'll come back to get you. Don't fear. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit to be with you while I'm gone, to comfort you, to guide you, to instruct you. Don't be afraid. And then at the very end of Matthew, Matthew 28, his final words to his disciples, he says, remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying, don't fear but have faith over and over and over again. The message of Jesus to his followers, including us, is don't fear, but have faith. And then one of his disciples, John, in 1 John 4, he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is for somebody today. Greater is he in you than he that's in the world. Don't fear but have faith. This is the same attitude that we should have. Don't fear, but have faith. Jesus instills that in us time and time again. And if you need that today, it's available for you. So like Joshua, Jesus combated fear with faith, but a majority of the time, it's not for him. Occasionally it was, but a majority of the time, it's for us. And I'm glad that Jesus is greater and can do that. 
And then the fourth thing, the final thing that we touched on with Joshua that we'll touch on with Jesus is that Joshua led Israel to their rest. He completed his mission. And likewise, Jesus leads us to our rest. But in a similar way to being a greater warrior, this rest is greater in Jesus because Joshua's rest for Israel was physical. It was literal, right? But the rest that Jesus offers us is spiritual. It is greater. It is full and final. Let's look at this scripture from Hebrews 4, and we'll see a direct parallel between Jesus and Joshua If you think I'm making this up, I'm not. There is a parallel here. There is a a comparison here. Hebrews 4, starting at verse number 6, says this. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua, see, there it is, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would, have spoke, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. You see, Joshua did enter the people of Israel into their rest, into the promised land, but it was only temporary. They were still surrounded by enemies. There were still future battles to face and to fight. Even after Joshua's rest, it was very temporary. They were eventually overtaken by other world powers. They were pushed out of their land that Joshua battled and led them into. His rest was real. It was there, but it was temporary, and it eventually fell apart. But the rest that Jesus promises us is sure. It is full. It is final. It will not fail. It will not falter. That's what makes Jesus greater. The rest that we have to look forward to in eternity future is unlike any other rest that Joshua was able to give. It was was impossible for him to offer or to give that rest. That's what makes Jesus greater. But there's one problem with this, though, okay? And that is, well, we're not there yet. We're not in that rest yet. I'm still fighting battles. I'm still facing enemies. I still have fear. I still have all this uncertainty. So what's the deal? But here, as we close, is the real final thing that makes Jesus greater. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says this. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So, not only does Jesus lead us to our rest, but what really makes Jesus greater is that Jesus is our rest. So, in the battles that you are currently facing, Jesus is your rest. In the difficulty that may surround you, Jesus is your rest. During the daily struggle of life, Jesus is your rest. 
when you fought and labored and battled and you're tired and weary and ready to give up, Jesus is your rest. Rest in him. Now, again, there is a rest that does await. There, uh, yeah, there is a rest, not arrested. We're not going to be arrested. There is a rest that does await us in the future. But again, we're not there yet, right? If, you, if, you, if you're there, let me know your secret, and I will do whatever you're doing. But I'm going to almost guarantee we've not, we've not found that rest. So while, while we're in the here and now, until that rest comes, day by day, moment by moment, in the battles that we face, in the difficulties and the struggles that we must endure, in the midst of that, Jesus is our rest. He is your rest. It makes Jesus pretty great, right? It makes him greater. Joshua was great. Everything about him was great. He was a great leader, a great follower, a great man of God. He fulfilled his mission. But in every way, in every way, Jesus is greater because in Jesus we find all that we need. We find encouragement. We find strength. We find courage. We find faith over fear. And we find rest for the here and now, and rest eventually for our souls in the life that is yet to come. And that can only be found in Jesus. Only Jesus could do that because Jesus truly is greater. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the fact, for the truth, for the reality that Jesus is indeed greater. And I thank you that in whatever we're doing, that if we're in Christ, Like Joshua, you've called us to do that. Help us to find confidence in that. Help us to find hope in that. Help us to find courage in the fact that you've called us. We may not feel equipped, but you equip us. We may not feel like we have enough, but in you we are enough because of what you do. Whatever we lack, you supply. Whatever battles that we face, we know that Jesus is enough. He provides all that we need, so we look to him. We know that when we fear, we can find faith in Jesus. We know that when we're tired of fighting, we find rest in Jesus. That's what makes Jesus greater than anything and anyone else. So I pray that we would find all those in him, not to get in the way of what you want to do or in the way of what Jesus is doing, not to doubt ourselves or overthink, but just to simply trust in you. Find hope, find faith, find courage, find strength to make it through and continue battling on through Jesus because he is greater. I think that that, that, that truth is real as we go on to the rest of our lives here in just a minute. As the li- life hits us in the face, takes us for a loop, takes us by surprise that you don't. You're not surprised because you are greater. And so, God, we thank you for that greatness of Jesus and that we live and walk in him daily for victory. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.